Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody that understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulton. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine, where we really focus on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulta, and today we have an episode uh, about gene therapy, but a special kind of gene therapy. And I'm not going to give away all the punchline yet. But as our guest today, we have Emily Mullen, who's the Associate Editor of Biomedicine at MIT Technology Review, Hi, Emily. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Kevin. How are you? Oh, doing all right. You know, thank you so much for joining me. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and well, for a while anyway. Long time. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> long time is uh, you know it is uh, it's it seems like a really long time. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to talk to you about was a recent article that you did on gene therapy, and uh, we don't have to talk about too much of the details just yet. But I kind of start kind of general. Um, what is gene therapy, and uh, you know how does it work? Sure. Well, the traditional definition of gene therapy is actually very simple and elegant. It's this idea of using an engineered virus to deliver a healthy copy of a gene into patients with a faulty version of that gene to correct a hereditary disease. This idea has actually been around since the 1960s, and in the 1970s, scientists conducted the first animal tests using engineered viruses to introduce genes to animals. In 1990, the first human patient was treated with a gene therapy at the National Institutes of Health here in the U.S., and that treatment was for a serious immune disease called SCID. Until fairly recently, the gene therapy field has actually seen more failures than success stories. Back in 1999, an 18-year-old patient with a liver disease, his name was Jesse Gelsinger, he was a very famous patient, he died in a gene therapy experiment. 
That combined with another gene therapy trial, which ended up accidentally causing leukemia in several patients, those two big events really put a chill on the gene therapy field for a number of years. And it wasn't until recently, in the past several years, when um, scientists really started looking at why these gene therapies were failing. And some new companies have uh, sprouted up in the past couple of years. So what they found was that early gene therapies failed in part because of the delivery mechanism or the virus that was transporting the genetic material. What happened was that these viruses, it turned out, weren't very good at getting the genetic material to the right place in your DNA. And the two famous or infamous, rather, incidents that I mentioned, what happened was that the genetic material ended up um, going to the wrong place in the DNA, and it caused some really bad side effects in a few cases. So scientists have been tinkering with gene therapy for a couple of decades now, and recently they've figured out how to make these gene therapies safer. And right now they're using different types of viruses and engineering new viruses that they've found carry fewer risks. Well, it's interesting because I've been watching gene therapy since I was in college. Um, I used to I used to do a speech on this thing way back in probably 1990 or no 1980 something. Uh, it, it seemed like it would be this big breakthrough that would immediately grab on, especially for diseases like cystic fibrosis, where you could treat a you know tissue um, like inside the lungs, where the delivery of the uh, correct copy of the gene was feasible. Right. Never really came to fruition. And so what really what really has changed since the beginning days of gene therapy? Well, as I mentioned, um, scientists are getting better at designing these gene therapies. They're using um, new types of viruses. They're engineering them in different ways to make them more efficient and to carry less safety risks. But that's always the part that kind of gets people a little bit nervous about this. We're re-engineering viruses, which when you say virus, you know, um, you know, really what we're looking at are, are um, viruses have the ability to deliver DNA copies of the genetic material and integrate into the genome. So you're able to not um, eliminate or correct the defective copy, you provide a good copy. It gives people a little bit of a pause, but at the same time, the major challenge is how do you get the right virus in the right tissue to do the job it needs to do? And that immediately limits the capacity and the application of the gene therapy approaches. Well, how has gene therapy changed since those early days? What, what's happened uh, over the course in its evolution? So the original thought of gene therapy was very straightforward, and that was the idea of replacing a mutant gene with a normal one to treat an inherited disease. But now scientists are thinking of gene therapy as really any treatment that involves using genetic material or cells that have been genetically altered or engineered to treat disease. This is really fundamentally different from traditional drug development in which um, scientists have developed compounds or chemicals to have a certain effect on a biological pathway. And what kind of uh, 
presence are these technologies in the current uh, medical model? I mean, are there are there currently available gene therapy uh, treatments? There are two gene therapies that have been approved so far, but only in Europe by uh, basically the equivalent of the FDA in Europe. And one of them, um, both of them are actually for rare genetic diseases. One is called Glybera. It was approved a few years ago, and that's for a rare metabolic disease. And um, when that gene therapy first debuted on the market, it cost a million dollars, and only one patient had been treated commercially that gene therapy was recently pulled from the market by the manufacturer of that gene therapy because it just was really having trouble finding a market. The cost was very, very high, and there was really little scientific data to show that it actually worked. And for a medicine that costs that much money, <laughs> I think the you know the company was really really having a hard time finding a market for it. <laughs> yeah, now, go figure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. money-back guarantee, right? <laughs> um, now, actually, there, there's another gene therapy that does have a money-back guarantee, and that is a therapy called Stremvelis, which is um, manufactured by GlaxoSmithKline, and that is also only available in Europe, and it's actually a type of gene therapy called an ex vivo gene therapy. And that means what happens is some of the patient's cells are taken out of, out of their body, modified in a lab with the gene therapy, and then infused back into the patient. It's a very complicated procedure. It's for it's to treat a rare immune disease that um, uh, first appears in childhood when uh, children are only um, a few months old. And this is for a disease called SCID. And often children with this disease, before gene therapy, they did not live past two years old. So gene therapy can ha has really been showing success in these SCID patients. But GlaxoSmithKline, I think, is also struggling a little bit in Europe. So because this therapy is so complicated to manufacture as well as treat the patient with it. Um, this therapy is right now only offered at one medical center in Italy right now. It's, in, it's being offered in Milan. And right now, only two patients have been treated commercially. A few more patients are supposedly lined up to be treated this year. But so far, the... Um, Gene therapies that are on the market are moving very slowly, and they're they're kind of struggling to find a market. And I know that in uh, in the states, there's been a lot of issues, or a lot of opportunities in clinical trials for a huge number of gene therapy um, interventions, and one that hits particularly close to us home here uh, in Florida um, is a researcher here named Bill Howsworth who was treating a type of blindness, kind of a rare blindness. I think it's called Stuttgart syndrome. It's uh, one that's typically in Briards, this kind of breed of dogs. And it's a deficiency of an enzyme that's required for processing beta carotene into um, vitamin A or pro-vitamin A. And uh, I haven't heard much on that in the last couple of years. It was a big deal in the late 2000s, like 2006 through 10. It brings to really our, the topic of today's talk. 
the way they found the disease, and the way they found the, the basis, the genetic basis, was because of a kind of dog, um, a breed called the Briard, that had a frequent um, condition of this congenital blindness. Your July 5th article in Technology Review is all about gene therapy, but mostly about gene therapy in pets, where actually this is happening at a much um, wider scope and a much faster pace than it is in animals. So what, it, what could you give us a little bit of a review about uh, the basis of your article and some of the things you talked about? Gene therapy has been tested in several different animal models like mice, rabbits, dogs, and monkeys for a whole range of different diseases. Dogs are really a good model for testing gene therapy because they have immune systems that are similar to ours and they get many of the same diseases that we get. What's interesting now is the shift from using research dogs to opening up some of these clinical trials to include pets. So traditionally, the dogs that have been used in animal studies, in preclinical studies, those have been research dogs that have been bred specifically for the purpose of research. They live and they grow up and they spend their whole lives in research colonies. And it's honestly probably a pretty sad life for those dogs. But now I think probably as gene therapy has evolved and now some of these gene therapies are getting safer and more efficient and now that we have done many 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 experiments in both humans and animals um, some researchers are opening up their dog studies to allow pet dogs into their studies and that's something new at least in what they've uh, tried so far are there any specific cases where it really looks like it'll translate to human disease? I think the most exciting disease is probably hemophilia. And gene therapy has essentially been curing dogs with hemophilia for a few years now. There's a team at the University of Pennsylvania studying gene therapy for hemophilia in dogs, and they have treated many research dogs already, but recently they have started allowing pet dogs into their study as well, and they've treated about six pet dogs so far. Their first patient was a German Shepherd mix named Bandito, and the disease made him bleed spontaneously and uncontrollably, and this happened several times in the first year of his life. During that year, Bandito's family had to, you know, keep checking him into the local veterinary hospital near their home in Dallas, Texas, and he was, you know, a frequent visitor to that hospital because of these bleeds that would happen a lot. So to stop the bleeding, Bandito would receive these infusions of plasma to help his blood clot. And these infusions are very, very expensive. They're expensive for human patients with hemophilia as well as dog patients with hemophilia. And after treating him several times, the clinic was really looking for a better solution. That's when they discovered that the team at the University of Pennsylvania was working on a gene therapy for hemophilia. And some of the members of the clinic, some of the employees of the clinic, actually drove Bandito from Texas all the way up to Philadelphia 
at the University of Pennsylvania there to get Bandito treated, and it was, you know, his condition improved substantially after he was treated, and um, unfortunately, the the family had to let him go just because it was too much really for the family to to handle to take care of him but he was eventually adopted by a man in new jersey and bandito is in you know very good health right now his owner says that they go on hikes and there's really nothing stopping him now <laughs> so that, that's really encouraging because <laughs> it, it at least says that the, that the approach can be successful right and in hemophilia, so the way gene therapy works in hemophilia is um, there, there's a mutated gene in hemophilia that means the body can't produce enough of a protein that clots the blood. So the gene therapy uses a modified virus containing a correct version of that gene to code for the clotting proteins. And what this team at Penn is finding is that the clotting factor, which is how well the blood is clotting, in the dogs that have been treating so far, they're mostly all of these dogs are at about 90%. So that means that these dogs are really having very, very few bleeds. And when they do, they're very, very minor. And, you know, they're, they're substantially better than before they were treated. And this is a disease that really cuts the lifespan of these dogs short, as it often does in humans too. So if you could administer this gene therapy once, as opposed to getting, uh, in, you know, infusion after infusion of expensive plasma, um, that is really, you know, a cost-saving um, treatment, and it's, it's a quality-of-life thing, too. So with all of the human need around different medical conditions, why are researchers focusing on pets Increasingly, people are seeking better medical care for their pets. You know, we treat our pets like members of our family. Dogs are our best friends, after all. And as humans are living longer, dogs are living longer, too. So as a result, they're getting more age-related diseases like humans do. Also, in some pure-breed dogs, breeding practices over the years have led to higher rates of certain genetic diseases. One researcher told me that um, gene therapy doesn't seem to work so well in cats, so we're probably not going to be able to see these treatments for our feline friends anytime soon, unfortunately. Unfortunately? <laughs> you a cat person. lover, or is that a... <laughs> no, I'm a dog person, actually. Yeah, me too. I, but I, I had to throw some sympathy in there for, you know... For the, for the cat lovers out there, I, I'm you know I'm I'm kind of ambivalent towards cats, but they don't like me. <laughs> I'm allergic to cats, so yeah, I, I I feel you. <laughs> they all just look at me like they want to kill me, <laughs> and it's almost like a joke among them that when I come around, they give me like that weird thing where they stand sideways and look at me with their head down. It's just like whatever it is. I don't know if I smell <laughs> weird or something. I don't know. I think, I think cats know that I'm allergic to them because if I'm in a room with a cat, there could be 10 other people in the room, and they come right up to me and rub themselves against my legs and just want to cuddle, and, you know, I just really try not to touch them 
and I think they're cute. I really do. I just I'm much more of a dog person. Yeah, well, you know that, but that's consistent with what we know. I mean, dogs bring <laughs> us joy, cats bring us misery. You know, it's just like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so why all of our uh, cat lovers out there uh, unsubscribe from the Talking Biotech podcast. Um, we'll take a short break. Uh, we're talking today with Emily Mullen, who's an associate editor at MIT Technology Review, recapping some of the highlights of her piece from last July on gene therapies in pets. This is the Talking Biotech podcast. We'll be back in a minute. Memories light the corners of our minds, scattered pictures of the smiles we left behind, smiles we gave to one another, or the way we were. The way we were in 2017, it was an outstanding year for the Talking Biotech podcast. The addition of Dr. Paul Vincelli, contributions from others, and more good new science than you could shake a stick at, gave us 51 new episodes. Number 52 will be a special recap of 2017. If there are special guests, special moments, or other nuggets you'd like to see revisited, please let us know. We'll be happy to include them in our recap. We had the overly unoriginal idea of doing a best of segment for our final episode of 2017. Doctors Vincelli and Fulta will revisit some of the many guests, the exciting highlights, and the many laughs that took this podcast from the surprising place of 5,000 downloads a month back in January to its current traffic of over 20,000. The trends are rising and the projections are rosy, as the guest slate for 2018 is already impressive. Can it be that it was all so simple then? Or that time has rewritten every line? If we had a chance to do it all again, would we? Well, yes we will. 2018 offers such an opportunity. With a crew of contributors and scientists more excited to share their stories, we have an opportunity to tell the wonderful stories of how a technology can help people and help a planet. And welcome back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. And today we're talking with Emily Mullen. Uh, she's the Associate Editor of Biomedicine at Technology Review, and we're talking about gene therapy as it's advancing in animals, well, humans are animals, I suppose, but mostly uh, our pets, and how some findings that have happened in dogs and research laboratory contexts have now started to extend to our companion animals. And it's kind of an exciting way to test how these therapies, which could potentially be lifesavers in humans, uh, may be applied to these other model organisms that have very similar immune systems. The first half of the podcast, we talked about the general idea behind this, but let's touch on some specifics. Where has this been um, applied to dogs so far? I mean, I know that there's cases, just from the literature, of uh, correcting potentially muscular dystrophy or diabetes, um, bone cancer. But what about, uh, in your article, you mentioned an ALS, you know, Lou Gehrig's-like disease in dogs. 
And what, how was the approach on that particular problem taken by gene therapy? Right. So this is a study that was recently launched by Tufts University in Massachusetts. And this is for a, a type of progressive paralysis that happens in older dogs in a number of breeds, including German Shepherds, Boxers, Corgis, I think Bernese Mountain Dogs, some types of Retrievers. So there are a lot of a lot of different breeds that actually get this type of disease, which, as you mentioned, is similar to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. It's called canine degenerative myelopathy. Bit of a mouthful, but as you mentioned, it's similar to ALS in humans. And so what scientists have found is a mutation in a gene called SOD1. And this gene has been linked to some cases of the disease in dogs. And an error in the same gene is also associated with Lou Gehrig's disease in humans, although we think that probably ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease has a couple of different causes. So this is probably not, you know, a disease that is just caused by one gene in, in every case. But the treatment that these researchers are developing is a single spinal fluid injection of a modified virus that can infect the nervous system. And the virus is engineered to deliver the genetic material to turn off expression of that faulty SOD1 gene. So it's more of a gene uh, silencing type of therapy rather than the gene replacement therapy, which we talked about in the first half of the program where when we were talking about the sort of traditional idea of gene therapy. So the results of that one are pending, um, but what about gene therapies for dogs that are currently on the market? So there's currently one type of gene therapy that's already on the market, and it's called Onzept, and it's one of these newer types of gene therapies that we mentioned uh, before the break. It's known as a DNA vaccine because it actually contains a human gene that makes a protein found on melanoma cells. And so this is a, a treatment for melanoma in dogs. This human protein is different enough from the dog version that it's able to generate an immune response, yet is similar to the canine protein that this immune response is directed against the protein that's found on the canine melanoma cells. So it's a human gene that's similar to a canine gene, but it invokes a, an immune response in the animal to target the melanoma? Yes. Okay. It's a pretty new, cra- a little bit like crazy out there idea. <laughs> well, it sounds kind of, it sounds like immunotherapy, like you're actually... Yes, right, uh, exactly. Yeah, so you're triggering some sort of a, an immune response based upon a protein that now is... Uh, so now the immune system is... Uh, so it's, so I see what happens. It's a vaccination, basically, um, as you mentioned. Yes, <laughs> um, yes it, it's basically, yes, it's, it's sort of this fusion of gene therapy and, and immunotherapy. God, that's so cool. And, you know, we are. do you think that we're standing on the edge of a really new frontier here? I think, I think with gene therapy, we're definitely seeing more of these therapies moving toward the market. Um, in the cancer space, 
there's a lot of excitement right now with a type of therapy called CAR T cells. And it's kind of debatable whether this is a type of gene therapy or immunotherapy. I think they're really a combination of both because the FDA considers gene therapy something that contains genetic material or something that is modified, genetically modified. And so what happens in CAR T therapy is a patient's own T cells are taken out of the body and they're, they're modified and then they're put in, they're put back into the person's body and fused back into the body to fight cancer. And those therapies are showing a tremendous amount of promise in some childhood cancers that are very rare and often lethal. Yeah, certain kinds of um, uh, leukemia, especially childhood right. leukemias. They, those types of therapies have been particularly good. Um, and even more recently, they've been teaming the same therapies where they're they're basically replacing a cellular receptor for um, that that rec- is recognized as cancer. Um, so that t- wait a minute, they're replacing they're modifying T cells with a um, receptor for um, something CD eight. CD18 receptors on cancer cells. And so it really allows you to target someone's own own T cells against a cancer. And what's right. really neat about this is in the last, I don't know, six months or something, they've actually used gene editing. They've used this CRISPR-Cas9 system to edit out the immunological signatures on a cell. So in other words, you instead of having to take someone's cells out and change and add this uh, targeting mechanism, you can actually just take anybody's cells, add the targeting mechanism, and remove all the um, immune signatures so that now the cells are generic and you can infuse them into anybody who has this rare cancer and potentially see efficacy. And one of the other places where we've seen some potential success is in bone cancer. So how does that work? Right. So there are studies ongoing in dogs right now and most recently pet dogs um, for a type of gene therapy called an oncolytic virus for osteosarcoma, which is a type of bone cancer with a very poor outlook. It actually occurs pretty commonly in dogs, but is less frequent in humans. But when it does occur in humans, it tends to appear in younger people. So this is a, a type of treatment that if we could translate it to people, it would hopefully be able to extend the lifespan of some of these younger people who get osteosar- osteosarcoma. So with this type of gene therapy, it's, um, it, as I said, an oncolytic virus, which is a modified virus that is designed to spread throughout the body and zero in on cancer cells and kill them. So as the infected cancer cells self-destruct, they release new infectious virus particles to help destroy the remaining tumor cells. Oh, very cool. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier this uh, issue of the therapy, at least the one, uh, costing a million dollars. So are the pet therapies in that same price tag? I mean, that's a little steep. I mean, I like my dog and stuff, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So if you're a dog owner and you're lucky enough to enroll your dog in one of these clinical studies for a gene therapy, you probably are not going to have to pay anything for your dog to receive the treatment if you're um, getting your dog treated at one of these 
reputable uh, medical institutions. But as you pointed out, there's a really big concern in the gene therapy field about cost. And as we've seen with the two gene therapies that have hit the market in Europe, the first one, Glybera, is a million dollars. Yeah, I, I can get it on sale for I was gonna about say, 800000 <laughs> if, if You buy it on eBay for, <laughs> for half a million, it, but you know they don't guarantee anything. The other gene therapy that is approved in Europe called Strombellis, and that is really the first outright cure we've seen for a rare disorder to emerge from gene therapy. It comes with a price tag of about 600,000 euros, which depending on the day can be about um, $650,000. So these gene therapies are very expensive. And so when I was talking to researchers about this idea of, you know, will gene therapies be on the market in a couple of years for our dogs, just like they will be for humans, sort of the feeling that I got from them was that these gene therapies for people are very expensive. We're trying to figure out now how much these are going to cost when they are approved by the FDA here in the United States. We don't really know yet if they're going to be covered by insurance. And believe it or not, pet insurance is is even uh, less comprehensive than health insurance for people. So that's going to be a problem. So I think probably the gene therapy trials in the gene therapy in the traditional sense of gene replacement therapy for these monogenic diseases I think those gene therapies will only be happening in these small clinical studies where pets will be invited to participate in these clinical trials, but I doubt that people are going to be shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of these gene therapies for their pets when the human equivalent costs that much. Where I think there is probably a lot of potential is in the cancer field. So as I mentioned, ONCEPT, that's a a different type of gene therapy, but that is about um, $3,000, $4,000, depending on, you know, the provider and whether you have pet insurance, the the price can vary a little bit. And that's given in a a couple of different, I think, three or four uh, shots and so that gene therapy is um, much less expensive. Yeah, and then you know, and then you're always up against the ethical quandary of you know it costs seventy five bucks to put them to sleep, and you can get another free one over at the Humane Society. And I don't mean that in a callous way. I mean that in you know to have an animal that's suffering to try to in- extend its life with some sort of uh, experimental therapy. And then when there's so many animals that are in need of homes, you start to get into that kind of weird territory is, would you even be doing the right thing? And that's, sure. you know, that's a real personal question for most people that I, I don't have a lot of trouble wrestling with myself, you know. Right. Um, but <laughs> but <laughs> I, I probably just had lost about a dozen listeners right there. <laughs> um, no, I, well, I, I, at, least when it, at least when it comes to cancer... What we're seeing is sort of a similar phenomenon in dogs as what's been happening with humans, and that is as humans are living longer, we're getting cancer more frequently, and as dogs are living longer, they're also 
getting cancer and in many cases some of the same types of cancers as we are. So um, the, the different kinds of cancer therapies, you know, those are manufactured in a different way than the traditional gene replacement therapies. So the cost is lower there. So I think that for cancer in dogs, I think that's going to be a, a potential market in the future for canine gene therapy. So Emily, thank you so much for joining us. I thought the article was really intriguing. It was surprising to me. I couldn't believe that these kinds of uh, interventions and these remarkable therapies would be available for animals and really be potentially informing successes in humans. And you know, I thank you very much for writing that. Where do we find out more about you or maybe follow you on social media? You can read Technology Review at technologyreview.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Emily L. Mullen, and that's M-U-L-L-I-N. Very good. Well, thank you very much, and uh, thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. If you don't mind, uh, write a review on iTunes. Uh, Every review really helps us move up in the rankings and gives us more exposure as people begin to read more and more that uh, you're enjoying the content and it means a lot to all of us who are um, all of us (laughs) me and Paul and uh, the other folks who host the podcast it's great to hear your criticisms and 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 your praises of course so I'm Kevin Fulta thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you again next week thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast please send your suggestions for guests comments or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.